I think we're live. Uh, good morning. It's Friday, uh, Juneteenth. So June nineteenth, twenty twenty. Bob, how are you, sir? You're a run around. Uh, all where are you today? What's happening? I'm going. To, I'm a problem. I'm obviously a show liability at this point. We got a game in Joliet this morning. I'm driving down there, but I had to be here for this podcast because this is going to be a good one. Well, in fairness, you've always been a liability. We're just now revealing itself. That's a difference than becoming we a liability. You've always been a liability. We held it together for 33 episodes now, though. This is true. Uh, so we have a great guest today. Uh, Chelsea Brooklad is here. She's the founder of Dugout Dish, a baseball writer, writes for Pitcher List and uh, Prospects Live. I work for Region 1 Sports here locally in Paducah, Kentucky. We cover local high school sports in our region on the radio, and I write for them. I also write for Pitcher List and Prospects Live, where I cover indie ball. So I am pretty much all over the place right now. All over the interweb. So your first piece for Pitcher List is coming out mm-hmm. sometime, which is on sort of this whole uh, negotiation stuff. So fill us in a little bit about that. So uh, you're the expert in the room, which is great, because Bobby and I are always doing like very half-assed research so we can talk about it. <laughs> We're like, yeah, they negotiated something new this weekend, and what was it again, Bob? That's kind of a we're, stick. Yeah, yeah, we're not good at this. So please, we have an expert here. Tell us what's happening. I, well, I had to explain it to my mom the other day because she wasn't getting it. She was, but she wasn't. And so I told her, I was like, you know, it's basically the the league said, hey, we're going to give you a, a bag of grapefruit. And so the union was like, uh, okay, well, maybe, yeah, we'll sign that. We'll we'll do that. And then they come back and they're like, well, what if we only give, you know, certain guys a whole bag of grapefruit and another group only one grapefruit? So, of course, they come back and say no. And so on, so on. They come back and the, the league's like, well, what about an orange instead? Of course, they're like, no, we're not we're not doing that. That's not what we agreed on. And as time continues, the league's like, well, what about a kumquat? It's still citrus. Like, you know, how about that? Have you ever eaten those, by the way? I have not. I got them at Trader Joe's once. So they're like the size of grapes. Mm -hmm. And they're like a whole citrus fruit. And you just eat the whole thing, including the skin, like the oily, citrusy, like gross tasting. So they have this weird, they're kind of bitter and it tastes like you're eating a lot of orange peel so they're not great don't recommend kumquats that well all right sorry continue yeah see perfect example i'm glad i used that yeah um essentially it's been going on since march the march agreement and they had come up with the grapefruit and cactus league which could have already been in play could have been working could have been wonderful we could have already had baseball and then when they kind of tossed that out, they were like, well, maybe a three division. And that could have been also interesting. The Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers would have been playing against each other. So for sure. And um, they continued on. They sent a formal proposal to the union on May 20th. The union rejected it on May 26th. And 6,000 proposals later, 
what it what it feels like. We are nowhere. Well, it seems like some stuff has happened the last couple of days. It seems like we're closer. I mean, what's the what's the latest right now? Um, well, the latest right now is of course Tony Clark and Manfred met. And once they left, they completely both forgot what they had agreed on from what it seems. Um some of the players were are unhappy with the situation. Um, a lot of owners actually, well, not a lot, but maybe like six owners have been reported that they, they don't even want to play this year because it, they would make more money not playing this year. So it's about 50-50 on my confidence scale that we see it. I think that right now it's a, it's a tactic. Of course, the owners want as a minimum amount of games as they possibly can get. So I think they're going to continue to delay this as long as they can so they can get the amount they want. Of course, the players, they want it 170 games. Um, the union wants about 650 to 60, which is interesting because the league actually come back and said in one of the proposals before they wanted 72. So it's just a, it's an ongoing situation. It's very aggravating. I know a lot of people, diehard fans are ready to jump ship this year just because of the whole situation. But I feel like if the, if the season doesn't happen, Major League Baseball will, will have major ramifications for years to come. And of course the CBA is coming. So if we don't have just a little sliver of baseball this year, we could we could definitely you know miss out in the future. So. Well, let's talk about so that, so people are jumping ship. What does that even mean? Like they're going to go watch volleyball instead? Like a lot of people, like a, a lot of people are like you know I'm a diehard fan, but this has done me in, and you know I I thought '94 would do me in, but this is it. This is the one, and it's like okay, you say I that. Appreci- I appreciate that the person you were pantomiming just then had an even stronger Kentucky accent. So (laughs) that was good. That was excellent. Well, yeah, I hear that sentiment, but it's not like you're going to jump ship to the KBO. Like, did you watch that baseball is super boring? Like who cares? Right. I mean, it's baseball, but you just like, don't really care. I attempt, I've watched one KBO game. I stayed up for it and I had plans to cover KBO on dugout dish. It's not happened. Because when the games are starting, that's around the time I'm actually finally falling asleep. So, just... Yeah. I haven't been excited. Aren't those they, games at, like, 5.30 in the morning? Yes. Well, because they're, what, what? What's going on in Kentucky at 5.30 in the morning? They're probably 10 hours early Mine's ahead of us. Off, yeah. Me binge-watching The Simpsons. That's what's happening at 5 in the morning. Well, that's good. That's good insomnia taste, though. Good for you. The Simpsons are still, still just superb. Um, question for you from a writing perspective: Do you feel like you do your best work in the morning or late at night? I probably morning, mid afternoon, maybe. Really. At night, I'm like, eh, I'll just push it off until the morning because. If I post it that night, I feel like nobody's going to actually, you know, take the time to read it. And if I post it in the morning or afternoon, it's a better better chance of 
people actually been like, Hey, I want to read this. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I personally, I, I do terrible, like creative work in the middle of the day. Just terrible. Too much sun. It's like, Hey Dan, your brain should do something fun. <laughs> when it's nighttime, that's when I do my best work. Just, it's like, it's open-ended. I could write till 3 a.m. if I wanted to. Like You're like an owl, Dan. No, I just, in the morning I have stuff that I need to, like I need to get done. In the middle of the day, my brain just doesn't want to do that kind of work. And then at night it's like, all right, everything else is done. You can write until you don't want to write anymore. And then you get to sleep later tomorrow if you want. That seems to be like my, where I can hit my stride a little better. There's some exceptions, but I think everyone's different. That's why I ask. It's a curious phenomenon. I think that's, I think at night, that's when I do all my research, like especially for swinging into history. I'll get lost on the internet learning about like old baseball players that I've always been fascinated by, but and then I wake up and I'm like, Oh wait, I want to do it on, I'm going to do swinging on swinging into history on, on someone else this week. Yeah. That's, that's what happens to me. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So for those of you listening, we're here with Chelsea lad. She's the founder of dugoutdish.com. She's a baseball writer. Uh, and is working on her first piece for Pitcher List coming up soon and covers Indie Ball uh, for Prospects Live. Bobby is with us. So I'm actually looking at the feed. Without your video showing, Bob, it doesn't actually show your box, which I feel like you probably figured that out because you did this two weeks ago. You did this two weeks ago. Uh, but Bobby is here with us in spirit. He's just about to coach a youth baseball game. So he's <laughs> running around being very unsafe looking at uh, – so your car got broken into a second time, huh? A second time. Now you're only going to see like the top of my head because I it's, don't crash your car. <laughs> yeah, a s- second time in in less than a month. I mean, oh my Chicago is just a just a hotbed of crime at this point. Oh. Well, you also left thousands of dollars in your in your Jeep, so questionable decisions. That was, that was by circumstance. That was. <laughs> Yeah, the circumstance was you left a lot of money in your Jeep. I know, but that's the circumstance that. behind nobody being robbed. That. Oh, the, the, the second time they stole like six bucks and change, like all my quarters. How's a guy supposed to do laundry? <laughs> uh, you're married. This, that doesn't. We know that you're not doing laundry. You're not capable I, of doing laundry. Yes, I do. That's that's like one of my things. My wife will tell you that I do my own laundry very particular about what happens with the linens. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I want to go into what you were just talking about, Chelsea. So old baseball players, there's been one of these Twitter threads running around. It seems like every other week where people want to have this very, what I think is a very stupid argument about could old players hit today's players? Where do you fall on this? Where do you fall on this? Did Babe was Babe Ruth a hack by today's standards? I honestly, I think they could hang. I think they could hang with the guys of today. What do you base this on? I base this on stats that I've like looked at an insane amount while writing, swinging through history or swinging into history. And I would definitely pair like Rogers Hornsby up against DeGrom. Like, I would love to see that. Like, I think I think he could hang. I think he could. Well, I think when 
The couple of things we know about velocity are interesting. So my dad wrote a book on pitching. It's called The Science of the Fastball. Mm-hmm. And the main sort of like storyline in the book, and it's a, it's a nonfiction book, but he follows three pitchers, like the three essentially fastest, hardest throwers of all time, which are Nolan Ryan, uh, Bob Feller, and this guy, Stephen Dalkowski, who is unknown. Are you aware of Stephen Dalkowski, who he was? I'm not familiar. So, yeah, and, and most people aren't because – so it's really fascinating. And for those of you out there, my dad's book is really great. It's really under the radar, but it's a really great book. If you're interested in pitching, you should pick it up. Uh, but so Stephen Dalkowski was an Orioles minor leaguer in, I think, the late 80s. And so there, have you ever heard of the umpire Doug Harvey? He has his own book called Call Me – I think it's like Call Me God or something, something like that. But he was like yeah. well-known – umpired every world series for so long like he was a long tenured umpire so doug harvey was umpiring through nolan ryan, much of nolan ryan's career and this guy steve dolkowski so one of the one of the stories about steve when he was in high school was that his sister said that she always knew when steve was pitching because she could hear his ball hissing from like the parking lot from like a, a ways off and his old his stat lines were consistently something like this 20 strikeouts 20 walks 25 strikeouts 25 walks, stuff like that. He gets signed by the Orioles and he just was reported by essentially everyone who ever saw him, including this umpire, Doug Harvey, who was quoted as like, I umpired Nolan Ryan's games many times. Stephen Dolkowski threw significantly harder than Nolan Ryan. Like not even, he's like, it wasn't even comparable. Like there was no question Dolkowski threw significantly harder than Nolan Ryan. So the, the rumors on Dolkowski were that he threw about 110 and he was just one of these humans where he was like perfectly like in tune and in time with his body and elastic and just like a rubber band to throw just absolute missiles, but he never had any command. And then he blew his arm out in the minor leagues. That's why no one really knows of him. But the eyewitness accounts are consistent that he just threw absolute flames, had no idea where it was going and would throw like a no hitter and walk 18 batters. That's, in, that's like nuts. It's a good, a good research topic. Yeah. By the way, but it is, it is a really fascinating story. And then, of course, Nolan Ryan, when they are just doing uh, their first radar guns, they had these lasers. So the, the laser radar gun would, would actually intersect with home plate, and so it would only pick up ball speed at home plate. And Nolan Ryan was cl- clocked on that at like 100 or 101 in his prime, which at the plate, the ball typically loses 6 to 8 miles per hour on its journey to home plate. So today's velocities are read right at the fingertips. So if you're red at a hundred crossing a plate, it's going to be like 107 or between 106 and 108 out of your hand. So that's how hard Nolan Ryan probably threw in his younger days up to probably 106 or 107 or 108. And Dolkowski threw significantly harder than him, quote unquote. That's, I can imagine even stepping up to the plate for that. Like no one really can. It's it's terrifying. And then, so Bob Feller was the equivalent and he was throwing that hard back in the, I can't remember Bob. When, what's Bob Feller's day? Was it the seventies or sixties? Or fifties? He was clocked through that. Um, he was he threw through a ballistics testing machine. So you know, like they shoot a bullet. I can't remember what that, it's like a chronograph or something. But a bullet goes through two essentially like panes, and it times it going through the two panes. Like a, imagine throwing through a window frame. And he was clocked at like a hundred one or something from sixty feet away. Also, this was back in the fifties. But I think we know, I mean, have you watched any of these retro games recently? Like they put on Periscope? Yes, I love those. Like I, I eat those up, honestly. 
but you can tell those, a lot of those guys are legitimately throwing slow though, right? I mean, you can tell. Yeah. I was watching a Cardinals, a Cardinals someone else World Series game, and it was just, it was abundantly clear the starting pitcher was throwing 85, like at best. Like he was probably 84 to 86, which is fine. But so there's a legitimate, I think, argument uh, just about the physicality on the whole. Yeah. So obviously Bob Feller and some of those guys were the outliers. Like Bob Feller threw absolute flames back in the 50s, 60s. But most yeah. pitchers probably threw 85 mm-hmm. at, at their best. And there were certainly exceptions. But um, So do you think like they could have handled just seeing 94 to 99 consistently? I, I want to say they could. Just, I mean, I don't, I don't know how great it would be. It would probably look at, like me at the plate. And that's not a great track record ever. But I would, I would have loved to be able to just see that in some weird way because I don't know if they would be able to catch up to it, but I think they could at least, you know, go down trying. Well, I think the thing, the re- one of the reasons I don't like this argument is because you've seen some of the softball versus baseball guys. You've seen some of that. I assume like Jenny Finch or any of these like really good fast pitch players pitching against either major leaguers or college guys and just like, punching them out, no problem. Part of that is because baseball players are trained to see this release point, the high one, right? They don't, they've never seen the underhand release point. And obviously in fast pitch, other fast pitch players hit fast pitch, right? Like the female players hit it. So it's not like the baseball guys because their males can't hit it. They're just not adapted to the release point. And when I, they get adapted, they start to catch up. One of my high school team actually played against our high school baseball team greatest reaction ever was seeing all these guys that I grew up with saying oh you can't play ball you're a girl you can't do this this is just like oh with your hand and like none of them could hit me and it was the greatest thing I've ever one of the greatest things I've ever done just you just punched them out huh it was it was amazing and but I actually got to meet Jenny Finch last year so She's like 11 feet tall, isn't she? Is she a real person? I do not expect her to be as tall as she is. Like, she was my She's tall. I'm 5'2", so I'm standing beside her in this picture, and it's on my Instagram. It's like, I always compare us as Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's tall. She's, she's like a super athlete. Girls, uh, one of the MPF girls this past winter, I just stepped in. She was throwing batting practice, and it was I, – I definitely fouled off 90% of them. Just not – that's not to say that, like, that was successful. I just the, – the trajectory of the ball, like, it's just not the same. So I was just consistently underneath every single one. And she was throwing hard, and she wasn't even trying to, you know, full blast. She was just normal batting practice. I just couldn't square it up. And if I did, it was to right field. It was, it's just totally different when you're batting against someone that's like a polished softball pitcher. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. And so I think that's part of the, like, yeah, if you throw name a major, you know, Andrew Miller up against Rogers Hornsby, there's not, there's, he's got no adaptation period, but if they like play together or something for a year, Rogers Hornsby was the same like human. He had the same eyeballs as like a person has today. It's not like human, like humans have really evolved. It's just like training has evolved, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I think, think they would adapt for sure. It would just take some time. 
Give him a little bit. He'll be good to go. But as a person who appreciates baseball history, do you think it's even relevant? Like, for example, Jesse Owens, right? Like the, the greatest athlete alive in his era, you know, winning Olympic gold medals. And uh, I think his 100-meter time back then, which was the best on the planet, was like a 10-7. Today, that doesn't even get you eight, like 80th place probably in the no, men's. That doesn't even Olympics. get you a gold star. No, you don't even get a participation medal in today's self-esteem society. So is it relevant that you could say, oh, like Jesse Owens couldn't even hang today? Like, I, don't th- I don't think that's a relevant thing to say at all. When you're the best person yeah. on the planet, given the training conditions and back in your day, and that's still the same thing with baseball. Do you agree or disagree with that? No, I agree. I feel like for, especially with baseball players, like from back then, the greats, like you can't, you can't compare them to now because training, like you said, is completely different. Diet is completely different. I mean, you look at a lot of baseball players from the 1800s until the 1950s. Like, they were not in great shape. They were doing everything possible to not be in great shape. Like, I, just, Give us an example. Give us a story from your research. And Rogers Hornsby was the one who had the quote about – Every year I just stare out the window and wait for baseball season, right? Yeah, which is relatable. Relatable. Uh, He actually took pride in his diet. He actually, you know, he he didn't drink. He didn't do the things that the guys of his time did. Um, A lot of baseball players back then were looked at as womanizers. They gambled, they drank, they smoked. A lot of them, some of them smoked in the dugout during the game. Like, you know, of course, yesterday with Christy Matthewson, he kind of – Little of that's changed, by, by the way. <laughs> Bob, are you <laughs> listening to that the same way? It's like a, <laughs> Nothing's it's not, changed. Honestly, sounds like a paradise. <laughs> so, um, Christy Matthewson, with the one from yesterday that I wrote, he actually kind of changed the way a lot of society looked at baseball players during his time, which was from 1900 to 1916, because he was a devout Christian. He wouldn't pitch on Sundays. He, he didn't take, he didn't participate in a lot of what his teammates were doing. Um, a journalist actually went to him to uncover the 1919 Black Sox because he um, had published books. And of course he had an inside to all of that. So he was definitely not the usual baseball player back then. And I think nowadays, of course, people take more pride in their bodies. They take more pride in being the best. And it's not just like, I'm going to, you know, go gamble and, and smoke and drink during this game and, you know, jump in the stands and punch somebody that's heckling me. So I think, I think I'll, they're a different breed back then. So they're they're the greats of their time, but you can't really compare them to the greats of today, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. Bobby, where do you fall on this issue? I think that their their physical like prowess is understated a little bit. Like I'm sure that the diets and uh and training regimen was a little different, but these are also guys that went back home to work in the off season. They It's a good like, point. Oh, yeah. No, no, you, you get, you get points. I'm adding points to your total today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but you can, 
got guys that are that are physically strong. I mean, uh, I've got just for comparison's sake, like my dad personally is probably one of the most physically strong people I've been around, and I'm not sure he's been in the weight room more than ten days in his whole life. Just from the work he does, like you shake his hand and it's and you it'll break your hand if you're not ready for like a handshake like that or. And you do, like I've done physical labor, I do a lot of concrete work with them, and it's like stamina-wise and, and like just physical brute strength-wise. I mean, he's 60 years old, and I'm 33, and he moves around heavy, heavy things with the same ease that I do currently, and I still work out in the weight room. And so I think it's just a little understated on how strong physically some of these guys probably were oh, yeah. uh, without having, I guess – modern day training techniques yeah well and, and you hear this that's what's interesting about some of the outliers like mickey mantle like the power that people describe that mickey mantle had is like insane him hitting balls out of ballparks back then you're like how is that possible for some old dude you well, know like, when, when you're just eating and you're yeah. talking about that's got that had like inferior equipment i mean we watched yeah inferior everything and he's hitting yeah. balls out with a 39 inch bat out of the ballpark it's <laughs> so like a ball made of like yarn probably like well, Josh Gibson. that was the dumbest thing i've ever said baseballs are made out of yarn <laughs> i meant to say something like hey you know like who knows what baseballs were probably soft and weird and lumpy back then too and mickey mouse was pounding them out of the ballpark in the bay in the did nice you watch like, uh, the mcguire sosa uh recap that ESPN documentary that either one of you watch that Sunday. Yeah. So I just, I just remember that home run derby where Sosa's putting balls like five ten off the scoreboard and left field. And you're, and there's stories of Mickey Mantle and there's markings of where his home runs yeah, hit. Doing the same yeah. thing so long but ago. It's crazy. It's insane. That power across generations, right? Like the flight of the ball, even if the ball was inferior and the bat was made out of a shoe. that was like josh gibson of the negro leagues like he actually was hitting balls it's rumored that he hit balls out of yankee's old yankee stadium like the amount of power that some of these guys had with what they had is insane to think about yeah well and and that's the thing when people and bobby and i've worked with a lot of young players in general just kids that you know, we worked with over the years and some of them just walk off the street and they just have, they just, their body knows how to produce power. Yeah. And back to this whole idea, which is the old Bobby's overarching point of like this country strength that literally everyone had back then because they're working manual labor. Can you imagine like swinging an ax all day, every day as a kid, you know, like maybe Josh Gibson did, or maybe Mickey Mantle did how well prepared that would make you to hit a baseball swinging an axe and like literally cutting down trees all day no wonder they you know the yeah. school was 1917 and you know the 1920s they were all hitting bombs like it was a nothing to them yeah that's a it's a it's a really interesting thing just to think about the differences in the game today it just seems like muscles like bobby said the old man's strength that like never seems to leave you, which Bobby, have you gotten more of that as you get, have you, as you've gotten older, have you noticed your old man strength increasing? Well, I, it's, we were, I was just talking about this. I was with, with one of my buddies who I had seen in probably like six months. He's like, Oh, you're like, I look thinner, but then I was in the weight room and I'm probably as strong as I've ever been. Well, it's cause you've always been weak. So it's, <laughs> it's a low bar. It's a low bar to, 
you know, stay above. This is, this is what I deal with daily. This is a daily thing from Dan. He, he, he hates, <laughs> he, I potentially may overshadow him here. No, but that's it. But it, you're right. Like, I feel, I don't know, I necessarily like notice it day to day, but if I'm doing something where I remember, you know, I used to bench press X amount of weight, if I can, st I could still do it without bench pressing in, you know, three to four months. Like, the, I don't know if there's science or anything behind it, but I can definitely, like, it's, it's an odd uh, phenomenon, I guess, that you can still be that strong. There does seem to be some legitimacy. Like I, I noticed the same thing too. So when I retired in 2017, I just did, I didn't want to smell a weight again. It was like a bad breakup. But since then I can still do like, I can just pick up a barbell that's pretty heavy. Whereas it just seems like there's an accumulated like density that your muscles get over time. Like you just don't really lose it as fast. And I was doing a lot of like little gym stuff, like cleaning up after kids, picking up weights and doing all. And that seemed like just enough to keep what you had going yeah. and uh, which is like the same thing that manual labor stuff. You're just pushing around heavy, heavy things, carrying things around the, the work site. It, there, there's definitely some legitimacy to that, but I noticed the same thing, Bobby, that I could just like go back in the, in the weight room and it's like the, my strength hasn't leached out quite as fast as I thought it would. Um, so Chelsea, let's transition. You have a passion for indie ball. Bob and I are both, I'm a lifetime indie ball person. Bobby was at a half and half after being drafted and then let go by the Orioles. What are the, what are your, what are your thoughts on indie ball? How can it help the world right now? Well, it's actually going to be played next, next month. So I, I'm excited about that because the American association, their hashtag is actually for love of the game. Their motto this season is we're just going to go out and play. We're going That's to good give marketing. That's good branding. Right. I like that. Mm -hmm. Right. I was really impressed by that. And of course, I know the Atlantic League and the Frontier League. They're still working on some things, trying to figure out where where to go next. Um, but I think with indie ball, a lot of people have this misconstrued opinion on it. I, the guy, you guys are ta insanely talented. Like you know, and. I think it could help grow the younger generation. Of course, in Major League Baseball, it, kids can go down there and get autographs, but you guys know, indie ball, the kids are, it's easier for the kids to actually have conversations with the players. It's, it's better. They, they actually get a chance to be a part of it. Whereas with Major League Baseball, I feel like the generation, it's an older generation that, that watches the game religiously. Everyone says baseball is dying, but to me, indie ball, which is going to be growing in the near future with everything going on with minor league baseball, I feel like it actually has a chance to to grow the game, to develop more fans, more people who love baseball. And I, of course, grew up around indie ball. I The first game I ever went to was an Evansville Otters game when I was like 11. And so ultimately I, I feel like people need to back indie ball even more. And with a lot of people saying they're going to jump ship with major league, I'm like, well, have you learned about indie ball? Here's my piece about every league. Find one in your area. Like okay. I've, actually, I've actually told someone that and they're like, what's indie ball? 
Are we so, even friends? <laughs> well, people still don't know it. And, and it, it's very regional, right? So like in the Midwest, you're much more likely to understand what indie bull is. If you're on the East Coast, you're really busy with your tech job, so you don't really care as much. Um, people are busier. There's there's obviously a big cluster. The Atlantic League is up in the Northeast. But the Atlantic League is a lot less like indie ball than yeah. other indie ball. The Atlantic League is like a wholly different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels a lot different than the Frontier League, and it's a lot less kind of grassrootsy, I would say, just because it's a bigger production. I mean, the Atlantic League games, they get – 5,000 fans at games a lot. Mm-hmm. And not that not getting fans is part of indie ball because it isn't like Southern Maryland or a Southern Illinois where you, I think they're one of your teams as well. I've seen a bunch of those photos in your, in your writing. Uh, they do a really, they get, they have a great stadium. They have a great production. Uh, it's a fun atmosphere and it's a very legit ballpark and they get a good amount of fans. I mean, that's a very legit place to play. Cause I think they built that ballpark thinking they were going to get a double a charter was my understanding. Yeah, I think so. And so it's like a double-A ballpark, yeah. And they even have mini-golf now. Oh, do uh, they? Yeah, behind the bullpen. Like. Oh, man, I want to go back and pitch there and do that when I'm <laughs> not pitching. That's just like a great way to get maybe in trouble and maybe released, but maybe a story. And they also have a, a moonshine stand and a Buffalo Wild Wings stand now. That's a cool thing that's happened. So I, I don't want to lose this indie ball train, but ballpark food has really evolved. And, and you've probably seen this firsthand because I haven't attended as many games because Bobby and I were still playing up until a couple of years ago. But how have you seen ballpark food evolve? Because it seems like it's a lot different now. Oh my gosh. Like it went from, you know, Cracker Jacks, pretzels and nachos to, and hamburgers to like now at Bush Stadium, you can get like Chinese food. Which like, is amazing. That right? makes me so happy. I would they love to have, have a vegetarian. Maybe no, no way. Chinese food at a ballpark. Yes, eat at a, eat General So's chicken out of a out of a upside down helmet. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Or a I big mean, helmet like, filled yeah, with ramen. A big helmet filled with ramen, and then you could just keep the soup and then try to catch a foul ball in it, and it splashes everybody with ramen. Who's eating? Who's eating? pasta at a baseball game you i need you got hot dog not did you just call did you just call ramen pasta you did what is it i don't know what's wrong with you (laughs) you don't know what ramen is were you an american (laughs) child at any point it's noodles what is it oh my god how do you not know what ramen is i know what what it is what are you you describe it you're about to bring a child into this world and you don't know what ramen is who first of all are you still (laughs) eating ramen yeah, I actually really like ramen. Ramen's a great food. It's cheap. It's, yeah, it's cheap. It's amazing. And you can go out and get it's, like legit ramen and it's even more amazing. Like get some scallions and like boil an egg. It's good. The, I can't the, I can't trust the medium trust boiled you know, egg is, is crucial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The poached the poached egg and the, the in the ramen in the ramen bowl of flash flash fried noodles wait you idiot you know what ramen is we ate it together at the bottom of like sawada coffee bar in chicago what was that I little know place what ramen is, but i'm saying so how, how do you, you know describe? it's not pasta how do you know it's so not how pasta do you describe it? it's noodles <laughs> absolutely They're astonishing noodles. yeah you describe it as noodles dummy the same thing pasta? it's the same thing it's noodles pasta They're is exclusive to italian food it's, pasta it's is trash. absolutely different this is ridiculous that we're having this conversation. You Chelsea, Chelsea, you're the arbiter 
You can have fried rice as well. At the ballpark? At the ballpark. They also have barbecue and um, tacos, I believe. All right. Well, tacos are hand food. Like that's, I get that. That's a good ballpark. Walking is, around, yeah. Comiskey Park, right. the White Sox Park, bacon on a stick. If you're gonna get something, that's what you get. See, I that's, just that new age. I just every everywhere I go, I just get French fries. That's my. You ballpark. should do that. You should do some type of rate like uh, the barstool guy does the pizza. You should do like ballpark French fries and just. I should. Rate them all and do a little, make it a little YouTube, Instagram thing. See, this is, uh, I'll help you produce it. By, by I, I mean Dan. <laughs> well, those are the things that actually do really grow a, a person's brand is the things that unify, like everyone loves pizza. And yeah. Dave from Barstool, Barstool Sports, whether you like him or hate him, he's got a pretty good like snark to him, right? Like, so I, I think he's kind of funny. Obviously, he does a lot of things that are offensive, like whatever. But the pizza thing was just like such a good which I don't think he was trying to do anything. He just, everyone loves pizza. And he's like kind of funny about it. Everyone wants to know, like, is the pizza good? It's like, it's like such a great, funny bit that he ended up, I mean, it got so big for them. So. Everyone hates my pizza choice. What's your pizza choice? It is pineapple and jalapeno. Yeah, I hate that too. That sounds terrible. Oh, good. It's so good. Have a little hot sauce on it too. I don't like the liquidiness because the pineapple gets like dehydrated a significant amount in the oven but i still don't want to bite into my pizza and get like a sweet oh it's so good like liquidy it's juice on it yeah mm, so no you're on the bench you're on the bench you're on the bench with that no add a little chorizo so in the midwest and this is a this is the thing we talk about this with uh rick camp from uh who's like our was our food connoisseur for the show uh we talked about pizza and the differences in between pizza. I grew up with New York style pizza in Maryland. And then we had a really great place in Maryland, which Maryland's not that close to New York. We're like four hours away, whatever. Uh, but obviously like the whole Northeast, there's New York pizza has trickled down into that, the whole mid Atlantic. So there, but there was a legitimately great, uh, still is pizza place by my house. Like one of those little greasy Italian places that just, just turns out phenomenal pizza. And, uh, like, you could definitely stack it up against any of the real New York places. It's very, very good. And uh, I just grew up just, like, with plain cheese pizza being just this amazing food. Like, I personally don't need to add anything to it to be extremely happy with my my pizza. So, but in the Midwest, it's really not that way. In the Midwest, it's a very, like, toppings are first. I feel like toppings are more default. Mm. And plain is not. Plain is, like, a variation. Whereas in the in mid-atlantic plain cheese pizza is the is the default and you can add stuff to it as a variation would you agree with that yeah i think so and i you know i will i will take a plain cheese pizza any day any day but chorizo yeah, and pineapple sure but that sounds like a taco it's so good taco pizza is actually really good too you just described taco pizza. Well, this what is else? like a legit taco pizza. Like there's like lettuce and hamburger meat and tomatoes and cheese and black olives. Like it's so good. So no, that's – I. we have to discredit your, your pizza sensibilities now. Is it time to talk about Casey's Pizza? I feel like this is the time to talk about it. 
the gas station pizza. Yeah. Do you guys eat Casey's pizza in in I've had Kentucky? Casey's pizza. We've had it. it. Seems like neither of you guys are fans. It's it's surprisingly good for a gas station. Yeah, I mean, if if I, it wouldn't be my first option, but if it was my only option, I would eat it and enjoy it. For those of you listening who don't understand what we're talking about, in the Midwest, I don't know how far Casey's General Store, which is like a decent gas station. I don't know how far they go, but they have Casey's Pizza, which is, I would say, kind of renowned, where people will call a Casey's gas station, order a pizza or two, and pick them up and bring them home as if it's a real pizza place. And I didn't have this until my last year. Uh, I mean, I had maybe like a slice, but my last year when we were kind of reminiscing before, you know, selling the Academy and doing all these things. Kids were like, you've got to have it. So we finally like bought like a bunch of Casey's pizzas. And it was so weird still. It's like, this is a gas station. Why are we ordering pizza from a gas station? Uh-huh. And they were still like $12 each. It's like, they didn't, you didn't get the, this is junk pizza discount. And it was, no, it was yeah, decent. Four, it was decent. Yeah, if it comes from a gas station, it needs to be at least 40% off what a normal pizza costs. But it's not. They have a great racket going on. Right. It should be at least cheaper than Little Caesars. 100%. But it's not. It's like same. It's the same as anything else. They just have yeah. figured it out. I don't know. So if you're in the Midwest well, and you need help. pizza, there you go. Chelsea, do you know? Uh, is, does Sheets or Wawa make it down to Kentucky? Nope. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about, though? I do. So you have to choose which one you like better. That's. It's a thing. You're just trying to pit her against me. I just wanted. I mean, uh, there's because there's the likelihood she's had Wawa is much lower than the likelihood she's had Sheets because there's a lot of Sheets in the Midwest. Are there? I've never seen one. Yeah, there's more. Like they start around Ohio. I've never had either. Mm, okay. Oh. Uh, All right. Okay. We. Well, she need to do the food tour then. Of gas station. That sounds terrible. Gas station <laughs> food tour. Well, let's let's go into that. So, what ballparks have you visited? Which ones are on your list? What's your favorite ballpark? I've only been to Bush Two and Bush Stadium as of right now, which is a travesty. What is Bush Two? It was the Bush Stadium before the one we have now. Oh, okay, okay. It was the iconic, you know, one that McGuire and Sosa were in. I actually got to go the last. Season. I got to actually go to one of the games when the current Bush Stadium was being built, and like you're going up to, you're going up Bush Two, and you can see this new stadium just looming, and it was very depressing. Like I was, I wasn't very old, but I still understood how sad and depressing that was. Um, I've been to, like indie ball wise, I've been to Bossy and Rent One, and minor league wise, I've been to. Louisville Batsfield, the like two years after it was built. I didn't and, get to go to a game there, but it's an impressive, it's an impressive field yeah, from street level. It's in Louisville. Oh yeah, I love it. And my goal is to go to Wrigley, go to um, Comiskey, go to Comerica, and go to. I want to go to City. I want to go to Yankee Stadium. Okay, I just want to go to all 30. Well, Let's that see. seems like every base. Yeah, so I, I figure you've been to more, so I don't mean to call you out on it, but you need to get 
to more ballparks. That's clear. That's evident. I was going to go to Atlanta this year with my dad. I was going to take him down there when Austin was in town. Because is there we, a new ballpark built? Mm-hmm. It, the brand, the brand new one is built. It's it's a few years old, I believe. Oh, I thought they were it's playing. It's really, another- really nice. It's so cool. Like okay. it doesn't even feel like. Everybody that's been there says it's like, oh, it, you know, it's like a whole village, like mm-hmm. whole town, and then there's a ballpark in the middle of it. Yeah, they really did a nice job. They've built up all around there. It's like an entertainment district. Um, if you've ever been to, I think Philly does this with their football stadium, their basketball arena, um, and the baseball stadium all kind of share like a hub of entertainment, like restaurants, bars, like a, it's like where people essentially tailgate, I guess, before games. That's what, that's what Atlanta did. It's really, really nice. Yeah. I, I, I don't think Philly's as nice as what you guys are. I, I think I've seen the plans for SunTrust Field now that I think about it. I don't know why I'm so out of, out of touch with it, but it seemed like they had actually like a cool like outdoor mall kind of thing, what they're building in Atlanta, whereas in Philly, it doesn't feel that way. There's definitely a bunch of bars right there for sure, but it doesn't feel like you're in a – it still feels like kind of an industrial area. Yeah. Whereas my guess is that's not how SunTrust feels. Bush Stadium, we have Ballpark Village, which is really cool. Um, It's where Fox Sports Midwest is actually located during the games. And when the Blues won, everyone was actually in Ballpark Village watching it on the big screen. That's that's actually where I got to meet Ozzy Smith in January. So there's there's a few bars, a few restaurants, just to hang out for people to go before the game. It's, it's very nice. Yeah. Speaking of Ozzy Smith, he's another example of someone that people sometimes cry out and be like, oh, Ozzy Smith would never even play a major league game today. It's like, why are we talking about that? Right. Why, why are we talking about that? Like, what good does that do for the world? Like, there's no point. Ozzy, no, Ozzy Smith is so overrated. I can't even, I can't even start. This is why you don't get a video today. <laughs> I know. I have... I can't, I can't get behind Ozzy Smith like being a good ba- being a uh, elite Hall of Fame level baseball player. I just why can't do it? Give reasons why. What was he? The, because we okay. So are we in agreement that the Hall of Fame is an uh, mainly an offensive, uh, offensive award or offensive? I guess acknowledgement. I don't. I don't know enough to have an informed opinion. I don't know, Chelsea. What's your Eh, kind of like this guy hit like 250 with like no pot. I mean, he was essentially like a, a, a career sack bonter. The whitey ball era got him good. I just can't get behind. I know he was, I know he was good defensively, but I, I just, I, there's so many guys that are elite defensive players that never get their due that, Never well, that's uh, we need to not conflate people that are good defensively with arguably one of the best ever to play shortstop because that's what Ozzy Smith was. But how many how many superstar defensive shortstops never got never got a chance to play every day because they couldn't hit? And whereas Ozzy Smith got that opportunity, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't have. I don't think that discounts his. I don't think that discounts his value, though. He was on the field and he provided value. Yeah, but is I. Uh, I mean, if we're going by war value, I feel like his has got to be so low that I'm right. 
<laughs> I don't know. Where do you fall on this, oh, Chelsea? Um, I'm just going to say he's the nicest human being I've ever met. Well, <laughs> Bob, I just don't. Th- there's a couple sad. things. There's there's a couple things that you need to realize. Number one, they had almost no ability to track fielding ability like they do now. So if they had some of these high level fielding stats, they could actually probably it would probably prove that Ozzy was worth even more than they thought he was. Yeah. Like or, they had no they had no ability to prove how good players were back then. It could prove he was not as good as he was, but more flashy. Ooh. I like that. Uh I mean that's just you doing your theory, your conspiracy thing. So Bobby uh, Chelsea, if you don't not aware of this, he's a big conspiracy theorist and he loves um, inter- introducing nonsense into his life, just taking stances on things that don't make any sense. And uh, this, he just go, well, maybe it, maybe it wasn't. And he just tries to like that's his argument for they, what, it's what, just was was Hank Aaron the all time home run leader? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe that's it what was Bob does. That's what Bob does. It's like no, he was. It's like no, he was. He was. <laughs> objectively like the number of home runs he hit was you know the most but was it maybe he you know lived in the mandela effect so like he he witnessed something else that we didn't whoa 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 you're hitting you're hitting a home run right here the mandela (laughs) effect all right you're this is we need to we have to have a whole other podcast now on just straight conspiracy stuff because that is that's like you know that's like a next level thought process on the what's your favorite conspiracy i guess that's my that's my next hard-hitting question is it aliens is it oh god there's so many like what, what do you got probably probably aliens because they terrify me they terrify well, me. because they're real and they're probably and they probably walk amongst you in kentucky I mean, it's possible, and I'm a big X-Files fan, so, like, show used to terrify me as a kid, but as an adult, I, I actually enjoy it, and some of it's like, oh, well, this is getting hard in today's times well, in the 90s. Well, X-Files is obviously based on true events. David Duke, and I'm a big David Duchovny fan, so, so you're hit, now you're, now you're back on Dan's dropped down a third on this podcast. (laughs) I'm currently researching Ozzy Smith articles, and there are many other articles with Bob's point of view that Ozzy Smith does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know enough to have an informed opinion, really, but uh, just based on offensive numbers, I don't. I mean, I feel like there's there's plenty of there's guys that that either exceed or match his offensive numbers that played shortstop at a high level and you know i mean there's well a, again you gotta not down. say high level that's too vague i mean these are major leaguers and back then sure, okay so one stat that's people are sharing is that he he fielded 976 at a time when the average shortstop fielded 965 which is a pretty significant amount of just purely making the plays that you get to and of course none of that you know fielding, fielding percentage does not measure balls that you get to that you know, so if I played shortstop and Bobby Stevens played shortstop, Bobby's gonna have 30% more chances because he's gonna glove a ball in the hole that I'm too slow to get to, and he's yeah. gonna make he's gonna make plays that I couldn't make. So, 
I'm sure they people have looked back at how many chances he got compared to the average shortstop, and there's probably way more because he's getting to more balls that they don't they just don't even touch. So if you don't touch a ball in the yeah, hole, I mean, I, you know, if I don't touch that ball I'm in the sure hole, it, do, it doesn't go down as an error. Whereas you make that play, it goes down as a you know an assist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's I'm sure there's I'm sure somebody has done the breakdown a lot more than me just saying Ozzy Smith is a Hall of Famer. But well, yeah, it seems like you've done I, the same amount of work on this as you have like with your vaccines theory, like essentially, you know. Oh, no. uh, I know way more about vaccines, but essentially Stay nothing compared man. to anyone in, in medical. But okay, false. I digress. I know false. Like Bobby I, doesn't I believe it, believe in medicine. Believe by the way, he I, does believe in I Santa. Believe doesn't believe in medicine. Doesn't believe in Ozzy Smith. <laughs> Who, um, I'm sorry. Who's denying? Who's denying Santa Claus? Does believe podcast? in Donald Trump? Uh, but anyway, so where 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 were we, Bob? Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. That's where we were. That's where I was heading. Jim yeah. Edmonds is phenomenal, and there was a big scare yeah. with him. He got coronavirus pretty early and went to the hospital. He did. And at he that point, no. and at that point, I felt like it was too early to say Jim Edmonds can catch anything. <laughs> there's there's no there's no way coronavirus takes out jim edmonds i mean let's get real that's not how he goes out there's no way no he goes out in some some petty misdemeanor offense and he gets locked up he's he's definitely gets what are you talking about right now how did this transition into jim edmonds no, I Jim don't. Jim Edmonds is great. You got you to look. Jim Edmonds is great. Great follow. He's hilarious. He is a very funny guy. He's very entertaining. Well, we were really – I was watching – what was that? I was watching a replay on Periscope. I think of the Braves, which was my team in the mid-'90s. I don't have a team now, but I, I was a Braves fan as a kid because they just had such amazing players. It was so yeah. fun to watch. It wasn't like a bandwagon thing for me, which maybe it was. Like all kids kind of bandwagon, but like – you're just in awe of everyone in their lineup. Andrew Jones, Brian Jordan. I mean, you had Deion Sanders. You had right. Gary Sheffield. You had Chipper Jones playing third. Javi Lopez behind the plate. Their pitching staff. I mean, it was Rafael Furcal throwing 99 across the diamond at a time when that wasn't normal. Like, their whole team was amazing. Yeah, it was I grew so up fun to watch. Until my dad let me choose my team. And I chose the Dodgers because – they had the same color scheme as my softball team. And I was like, mm. oh. And I fell in love with Mike Piazza. He was traded a month later to the Marlins and then traded to the Mets. And so that started my long whirlwind relationship with the Mets. How'd that work out? How'd that work out for you? Ponzi schemes and all, all mediocre feel, management. All I feel is pain. <laughs> well, then you actually were a Mets fan, so there you go. They had those glory years. What was it like? Oh one, yeah. Two. They were they were decent. Like the Piazza years were good, but I feel like it's just we go in circles. We'll be good, and then we'll you know be the Mets. They really Mets themselves most of the time. Well, I have a really a strange Mets story. It was so weird. So. Maybe like 2014. I think it was the year you and I played together, Bob. Um, a girl I was dating flew out to see me during the season. And she's only going to be there for like two days. So we got a, a hotel in Center City in Philadelphia. And we go out to dinner. We're coming back. We were on the, and this is one of those hotels where the ground floor, you couldn't 
like there was nothing you had to take an elevator to the f- lobby on the second floor it kind of like i guess it's like a little security screening so we get in the elevator and we see this this woman who's like she's just this gorgeous like you don't see women like her in real life just like six foot tall it's like you look really important like you're a like a runway model or something and then uh curtis granderson walks into our elevator i'm like God. i feel like i I feel like I recognize you. And then we go up and then I see my teammate's dad in the lobby. And my teammate was Sean Tuffle and his dad, Tim Tuffle was a long time. He was on the miracle Mets. He was the third base coach for the Mets at the time. And I'm like, Tim, I just saw your son last night. He's one of my close friends. It was, well, it was funny because I had talked to him. I'm like, you're Tim Tuffle, aren't you? And he's like, you know, being the guarded thing. And I'm just like a, trying to get his autograph. And I'm like, I play with your son. He's a really cool kid. Like we're buddies. We're in the bullpen together. He's like, ah, it was super random, but we were in the Mets team hotel. So like in the second floor lobby, it was like the whole Mets team just drinking in the, in the lobby. It's really, really bizarre. Strange coincidence, but that's that's my Mets Tim Tuffle story. So if you want to know where the Mets stay in Philadelphia, they stay at the Westin in Rittenhouse square. Hmm. So, so yeah, there you go. But they all do, right? They, Probably. That's probably, the team. That's, that's probably the team hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My buddy, my buddy that was played with the, with the Nats and drove down to meet him after a game. And it's like, just meet us at this hotel, sit in the lobby. And then it's like, Oh, the flood of players comes in a little extra security. They wonder who you are. Yeah. But not that much security. Like if I was a fan, I could have stayed there and just hung out in the, and drank with the manager. It's crazy. It was like kind of weird. Your lineup. That was that Give easy. Your li- lineup suggestions. Yeah, and listen, listen, man. First or third in that situation, you got to hold him up. Like, what are you come doing? on, bring in the yeah. lefty. Are you crazy? Um. So, Chelsea, let's talk about uh, what is it like being a female baseball writer? It's it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I I receive a lot of hot takes from men who kind of discount my credibility and my knowledge and love for the game. But it hasn't been too bad. I've only had a few do things. Like when I mentioned the DH, that, that you know, guys with glasses in their avvies, they came for me that night. In their avvies? What is that? What is that term? Profile pictures, you know, that like that that group of guys that all like the reply guys and they have the, the sunglasses and they like, no matter what you say, they're like, no, this is, well, actually this is what's happening. Uh, so that was fun. Yeah. I, um, so what was your take on the DH before you get back to that? I am okay with it. I'm finally, I'm, you know, I'm like, if you're going to do it, let's do it. It's, been in theory since 1906 Connie Mack and a few other guys they were like wanting to do it they were disappointed in the way pitchers were batting of course it didn't come in until like the 70s but it's always been a part of baseball it's always been there and so someone actually told me they were like oh well it'll ruin the way games meant to be played and I'm, I'm like it's it's been a part of baseball since the dead ball era it just wasn't you know, enforced for the longest time. So, and my theory is there's nothing worse than, you know, two outs, bases loaded, or a guy in scoring position and your pitcher is up. 
there's nothing worse. And I say that as a former pitcher who could not hit a ball off of a tee most days. Well, are you familiar with Tom, Tom Tango? I am. And Michael Lickman. Have you read their book called The Book? I haven't, but I really want to. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was one of like, it's, I liked it because it's dense, but not too dense. Like they do a good job of summarizing at the end of each chapter and kind of giving you like the important takeaways. Because I'm, I'm not a stats person. Like a lot of these people are more and more stats heavy than ever, which is great and fine. But they, I think they do a reasonable job finding a balance. But one of the interesting things they talk about in that book is the value uh, or the, the lack of value that the pitcher hitting has. And they basically said that with the average pitcher hitting in the, D, in the, in the NL, if you were to, to DH for him every time he comes up, the increase in value you'd get from having a real hitter replace him is the equivalent of adding a Randy Johnson to your, line, to your starting rotation. You get that much value from getting the darn pitcher out of there. A Randy Johnson. It's like adding another Randy Johnson to your starting rotation just by pinch hitting for the hit, the, the pitcher. Just crazy. It's insane. And I feel like a lot of people don't take the time to actually, you know, sit and think about it. Like the argument is, oh, well, it's going to ruin the game. Or, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, no. I miss Bartolo Colon. We're never going to see that happen ever again. It's like, okay. Which that is wonderful. That is That's objectively wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> That was amazing, but how many times is that, you know, how many times are we going to actually get that? Yeah. It, it, it is a stupid thing, and as a, as a pitcher, it's weird throwing against another pitcher because you're like, this feels right. dumb. Like, I have nothing to gain. It's probably going to be an out. Sometimes they're going to embarrass me, but it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And because uh, I played in one indie ball league. Are you familiar with the North American League? It existed yeah. for half a summer. It was a joke. They did uh, National League rules for some reason. So I got to hit. I'm like, why am I hitting? And then I was pitching against other pitchers. I'm like, why, why are we doing this? This makes no sense. Uh, Bob, I'm getting some reverb, by the way. There you go. That's right. That's right, Bobby. Well, I was going to jump in and say that that's great for your stats. It's great for your stats. pitching. It's against still dumb. It's like a non-competitive at bat. Like as a competitor out there, it's, it's nice to get a free out, but it feels kind of stupid to get a free out, honestly. You're like, why, like, why, why, am I, why are we doing this? It's fun. So, it's, fun. it's not, it, but it isn't though. It's, it's not though. Like when you're at that level, you don't want to have a mental lull where you're like, all right, the pitcher's up. Just throw fastballs. Just don't walk him. Right. It just, it like takes you out of it in a kind of, cause again, like Bob and we've had this talk before when you stop, when you, when you retire for good, the thing you miss most is competing. You don't miss getting free outs at the bottom of the lineup. You miss competing. And that's why even when, 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 you know, the free out was good for me, it would give me more time, help my numbers be better, and, like, you know, keep the Grim Reaper away, it still felt stupid because it wasn't competing. It's, you know, every ninth time up, I'm just – it was it, – it's just – it makes no sense. So, yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's fine. I, I don't think people have a really good argument for no. why we should keep it. It's just nostalgia or something. Even my mom, like, of course, she watches baseball closely because of me and my dad, but she doesn't – she she understands it, but she still – there are things. She's like, no, wait a minute. What's what's the point in this? And from the time – even when I was little, like, from the time she started watching baseball with my dad until now, she's like, why are the pitchers batting? This is ridiculous. And so she always loves when, like, we watch 
an American League game between the two teams because she's like, see, this makes sense. This is smart. And, of course, when we go to indie games, she's like, see, they do it. Why, mm-hmm. why, can't, why can't, you know, Bush, why can't the Cardinals do that? I'm like, well, listen, this is what's happening. This is what's trying to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, adult league, like men's league baseball, mm-hmm. pitchers hitting is great. Like, I can hit a dinger. Like, I could hit 75 miles per hour. Like, I don't look any more embarrassing. I'm not probably better than – I'm clearly wouldn't be better than the guys who used to be college position players, but I could hold my own in a men's league. Mm-hmm. But in pro ball, you just can't. You can't be prepared enough to hit 92 with a slider. You just can't. It just, you look stupid. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense. You know, because like every player has a certain level of preparation that they have to maintain to be at their best. And then you have a pitcher who doesn't have any of that level of preparation for that task. Yeah. Like nowhere else on the field does someone go up completely unprepared. It's like asking the catcher to pitch an inning every fifth game. It's like, why would, why, why would we do that? I remember very vividly last year, Dan Winkler was pitching for the Braves. And for some reason, of course, he was a relief, but for some reason, he was batting. And he went to bunt, and when he did, he actually made contact, but his eyes were closed. And, like, the face he made, I had, I had it on MLB TV, and, like, the amount of times I, like, went back and watched that, like, in slow-mo, it was – I don't even remember how many times I did, but I even, like, yelled for my dad. I was like, oh, my God, come here. Look at your team. Look at this. And he was like, I don't know that team right now. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it was so bad. And he made it to first. But I think they – I think even Fox Sports replayed it like ten times because it was just so god-awful. Well, and that's how it is. I yeah. When I was in that league, I remember my first at-bat since, like, high school. And I actually got a hit because I just, like, swung on the first pitch. I hit it, it hit off the pitcher's leg. My second at-bat, I had to bunt. And I was, like – shocked at how hard the ball hit the bat like bunting seems like it seems really easy on tv in reality that ball's going fast and it hits your bat hard and it like bounces back and it's it's that so i can completely relate to him closing his eyes especially if it was like 96 it's like oh god don't hit me in the face like yeah it's a very real thing bunting looks easy on tv it's not I was going against girls who were throwing, I was throwing 70. So like they were throwing in the 60s and 70s and I actually almost broke my finger on a bunt. Like mm-hmm. my, I, I also got a home run off of a bunt, but that was because it was a little league home run. So we won't, you know, I can't use that as street. Aster- asterisk. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. get you in the hall of fame. No, I try. You can use it. You can use it. We don't have those rules here. <laughs> um, so Let's go back to the, the, the women in baseball thing a little more. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you respond to men that just want to, like, shoo you away and mansplain or whatever? Sometimes I just let it go. Sometimes it's not worth it. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling feisty and my personality wants to actually come out on social media, I'll go back and reply with something. And, of course, I'll wait and I'll do my research because sometimes I'll wait, well, this isn't true, but to make sure I have to go back. Um, otherwise, it's, it's been really great because there's, there are a lot of women in baseball, and I've met so many wonderful women because of this. I've had a chance to interview Jessica Kleinschmidt and Emily Walden, two women I look up to. Um, they've both told me, Jessica told me, you know, you have to be yourself. You, you, you can't 
you know, turn into someone else. And Emily gave me great advice. She said that it shouldn't matter if I'm a, a woman or a man. It should matter on how much work and how much I put into this to show I do want this. So I, I take both of those and I run with it. I, I'm the only girl on my radio, st on my radio show. It's me and two guys. And I, I joke that they couldn't, they couldn't do it without me, but I'm also one of the only female sports writers in my town. So it's, it's often where I have to, you know, take a step and think, Hey, you're doing this. It, like Emily said, it doesn't matter if, you're a girl, a guy, what matters is the work, your effort, and, you know, proving that you can do this. So it's, it, there are days when I'm like, oh my God, but then there are also days that feel very rewarding and I get to do stuff like this. So it's really cool. It's still overwhelming sometimes. I'm like, yay, yay baseball. People want to talk to me about baseball. Like, this time last year, people were like, Chelsea, please stop talking about baseball. <laughs> like, you do tweet about baseball a lot. I tweet about baseball very little. Um, but since we all recently followed each other, you do tweet about baseball a lot. You, you apparently miss it a lot. So I do miss it. What are your, so we hit Indie Ball a little bit. What do you think is going to happen with Indie Ball? What do you think is going to happen with the minor leagues? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What are your predictions? Because uh, I think Bob's got to get to his game coach the next generation in about five, <laughs> five ish minutes. So what are your predictions Honestly. going forward? Um, I, I think with everything going on in minor league baseball, indie ball is going to grow. I actually talked to the commissioner of the American association two days ago. Well, it's been two days. And he even said that the way we look at indie ball is fixing to change because of course, with all of cut, all the cuts and minor league teams being on the chopping block, the, the, the level of talent's going to grow in independent leagues. And it's not just going to be guys who were rookie level. It's going to be guys in double A, triple A that are affected by this and ultimately will end up playing for an indie league that were cut and they don't want to give it up yet. They want to try to get back where they were. So I think the downfall of minor league baseball and everything going on behind it will give independent ball more credibility. People I think eventually will look at, at indie ball as, Hey, they, they are professional, you know, more leagues are professional baseball leagues. And I don't want to see minor league baseball go through what it's fixing to go through and what it's been going through this year. But I do think that independent ball will definitely have a bigger following in the coming years. So I'm trying to get as many people as I can to jump on the indie ball train right now. So they, you know, aren't looked at like, you know, bandwagoners. Gotcha. Do you think people would seek out independent baseball or is it still just a regional thing? Like if you live in Southern Illinois, you're probably already somewhat familiar. Like you go to the gateway Grizzlies in the frontier league. You go to the, uh, what's the other one? There's another there's, one I thought. There's the miners and then there's Schaumburg and river. Or there was the river city rascals. They're no longer. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, Schaumburg's yeah. up by Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. Wendy's Thunderbolts in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but 
if there's a choice, like, I guess, you know, where I used to live in normal Illinois, there was the Corn Belters. They're now defunct. They're a college team now. And there was Peoria, which are the, they were the, well, the Peoria Chiefs, they were the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Now they're Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. So do you think people would choose independent ball over an affiliated team if it was a similar drive? I am, I'm not sure. I want to say I think it'll be 50-50. I think there will be some people who want to go and see the indie games, and then people want to see the minor games. I know, especially when I'm at the Southern Illinois Miners games, they have the feel of a double-A or triple-A game, just the way mm-hmm. they set everything up. It's, you know, in between innings, the kids get to do things, and that's the way it is in minor leagues. So. Ultimately, I think it would just be the difference in them, you know, wanting to go to which whichever team they want to see more. Yeah. Bob, what do you think about the talent level in any ball increasing? Uh, I think it'll be good. I don't necessarily think it matters. Um, I mean, you're really not going to indie ball games. Parents aren't bringing their kids to indie ball games to see so-and-so unless they know the player personally or it's more for the entertainment value. I think it'll help the game. Um, I think the biggest thing with indie ball right now is if it's the only thing going, you're going to draw people that maybe had never been to a game. You're going to, you're going to reach the, the, a bigger group of people, like, especially in Chicago. So I help with the dogs, Chicago dogs are new. We have Schomburg. We have, uh, like you said, Windy city Thunderbolts. Like there's a plethora Gary, of options. Gary's on the, uh, Indiana Gary. side right there. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're talking six professional teams, the Cubs and the White Sox within what an hour's drive of all each other so there's a lot of options and I think just you know you're never gonna replace the Cubs or the White Sox but if they're not playing and you can draw people that you wouldn't normally draw and all of a sudden they get a good experience and now it's now it's at least in the back of the mind of hey we want to go to a baseball game or who's in town let's see what let's see if there's a game going on you know there's a there's an opportunity to find new fans that may have just, you know, poo-pooed the, you know, something less than the White Sox or the Cubs. So, I mean, the White Sox have a hard enough time drawing fans as a big league team in Chicago. So you can only imagine how hard it is for, you know, new startup independent teams. But, you know, new talent will help. I don't know if it necessarily makes a difference to the team uh, other than maybe trying to win a championship because, those faces change every year. I mean, the, the rosters turn over 80% every year, it feels like. Yeah, it's got to be but the experience, be, not, the, not the players, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's definitely the experience. And if you're going to reach, you know, a, a fraction of the population in a normal year, maybe you can reach a little bit more this year and, and kind of open yourself up into some new fans that didn't even know you existed or that just need some outlet to get out of the house and have a good time. Well, there, and there is a percentage of fans that, do want to be impressed by what happens on the field. And I've definitely heard like with normal, that's the frontier league and the frontier league can be, can be pretty sloppy at times. Like you can go to a game and see five errors sometimes because like the frontier league is the most transitional league where the lower teams on it. Like, again, you can get guys that really weren't pro ball players and they're just going to go out there and not perform. Whereas the American association, much higher level play, the Atlantic league is not that like that at all. You've seasoned veteran guys out there. Um, so I think cleaning up some of that where maybe it's your first time going to like a frontier league game, 
and you're kind of impressed like wow by some of the stuff the guys can do on the field I think that definitely helps versus again some of the times when you can just go to a frontier league game and it's just like a kind of ugly game which that can happen in single a ball too, a rookie ball like you go to those games you're like what are these guys doing just throwing around the field because it's still it can happen at a Mets game let's be real yeah yeah (laughs) can and does regularly (laughs) happen in Mets games um well Chelsea how can people one thanks for coming on the show it was a really fun conversation we'll have to have you back on um how can people follow up with you and where can they find you on the web um you can find me on twitter at chelsea brook and at dugout dish my website is dugoutdish.com and my words can be found on prospectslive.com and pitcherlist.com and my podcast is player to be named later i i ramble about oh we didn't even talk about your podcast dang it it's Next time we'll we'll talk about it next time when I finally have my microphone, and um, it's on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Awesome, very cool. We'll definitely be sure to check out Chelsea. She does a great job on social media. She she writes a lot of really interesting stuff. I was on her dugout dish website the other day, um, so definitely go support her. Thank you again for being on the show, Bobby. You want to send us off? You still there, Chelsea? I'm still here. I'm still here. I'll turn the I'll turn the video on so everyone can see me. I'm ready to go. Uh, Chelsea this was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. For uh, we'll see everybody Tuesday. Do we have a guest? Uh, where I won't. We will have a guest uh, to be determined. We've got a few options, and I won't be driving, so you get to see this mug for a full hour and a half. Mm, no more B squad Bob. B squad Bobby on Tuesday. Hey, so B squad Bobby's better than no Bobby. De- debatable, <laughs> but. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.